0: I'm Andy Barker, consultant sports physiotherapist, private practice owner, and the founder of the Newgrad Physio. Having experienced my own rapid rise from student to dream job just 15 months after graduating, I know exactly what it takes to accelerate your learning and fly up the promotion ladder faster than you ever thought possible. Having previously worked at my dream sports club, the Leeds Rhinos, for over 10 seasons, I now consult with a number of individual elite athletes and sporting organizations whilst running my own private practice. But my biggest passion is a new grad physio. I built a new grad physio to help new grad physios, sports therapists and sports rehabilitators, just like you, accelerate their own learning and learn the skill sets you need to become a competent, confident and competitive new grad physio. There are specific challenges you will face as a new grad therapist. And this podcast will deliver you actionable advice you can use to overcome these challenges and start your own successful new grad journey. So let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the NeuroGraph Physio Podcast. I'm your host Andy Barker and in this episode we're going to talk all about how we can potentially try and prevent hamstring injuries. So hamstring injuries are a massive, massive problem. So we see such a high prevalence and incidence of of hamstring injuries. And despite all the the efforts, the, the research, the money that's been thrown into hamstring injury management and ultimately trying to actually prevent hamstring injuries, in the first place, you know it's clearly not working. If you look at hamstring injury rates and using sport as an example, hamstring injury incidents and the rate of injury per, let's say, a 1,000 hours and what have you and the measures they use to, to track injury incidents is very similar today with all the new research and all this fancy technology and testing as it was 20, 30 years ago. So clearly, we're sort of missing a trick a little bit in terms of how we're actually uh, managing you know hamstring injuries, and particularly the efforts we're putting in place to actually try and prevent these hamstring injuries in the the first place. So we know there's such a uh, high sort of burden put on, particularly soft tissue injuries like hamstring injuries, and we see you know so many players you know come back to sport, you know pay your patients you may be working with get back to the activities that they do like running, uh, like you know, recreational sport or whatever else it may be. And we see such a high, you know, hamstring re-injury injury. So, you know, we need to ask ourselves a question like sort of why that's sort of happening. And maybe you listen to this podcast and you're thinking, you know, you, you don't see hamstring injuries every single day. Maybe you don't work in sport, maybe you work in the NHS or even private practice. But the concepts we're going to cover in this podcast will relate to any soft soft tissue injury. So if you're seeing patients with... Problems like Achilles tendinopathy, with groin pain, with any really overuse type injury, that the concepts we're going to cover will, you know, give you some some help, some information about how you can manage patients like this, not just patients with hamstring pain and hamstring injury, but in the best possible way. So I wanted to start the podcast with just talking really about injury prevention. So it's something you know my background working you know, from university and straight into professional sport. I'm still working in, you know, consulting professional sport now alongside my you know, private practice work and obviously the work I do with the, the New York Physio. So my sort of, you know, of all my time in sport, you know, a big part of what we do uh, as a as a job, as a therapist working in sport is almost split in two. So it's almost to fix players up when they'd break, to get them back on the, on the pitch, getting back on the... You know, being able to play as fast as possible, being respectful for their injury, but ultimately to get them back and make sure when they do back, they don't break. But the other part of that is to maybe, you know, profile and screen players and to try and stop injuries actually happening in the first place. And because we know that the longer players are in a, a sort of healthy state, if you like, the longer they are, they go without injury. Their incidence of injury actually will reduce. So we're we're able to keep players better conditioned. The coaches are able to you know technically work with these players. The S and C coaches in a sports environment are able to continue to to load them up in the gym and out on the pitch and and do what they want to do. We know that that decreases the burden of injury uh, for athletes. So again, a massive part working in working sport as a therapist is not only to fix players when they break, but to try to stop them breaking. In the the first place, and keep them in that sort of healthy, healthy group of of sort of players or athletes. The big problem, particularly with hamstring injury prevention, is there isn't really any evidence to to really support it, no real robust evidence. And the big problem with not, not just hamstring injury um, studies, but any sort of injury prevention studies, is the fact that these these studies are not, and you know, and will we'll always sort of struggle to to be controlled in the sense that, you know, you'd have to have a control group receiving no, you know, intervention in terms of injury and an in in intervention group. And the and the problem with, you know, using sport as an example, what players are doing training wise, out on the pitch in the gym is is so so different. So it's really hard to control those sort of settings to to then from a an evidence-based point of view and an academic point of view it's really hard to control the environment if you've you know, worked in sport or you know seeing what happens in sport you know whilst players may do similar sessions their output say on a, in a field session may would be very different that might be related to their position on the pitch it might relate to the tactics for that particular game they're working towards where they might be you know more or less involved depending on maybe the opposition players the, the sort of you know training to to prepare for whatever else it may be so it is really difficult to to compare not athletic groups like that in in terms of injury prevention and when we are trying to use you know intervention techniques and injury prevention methods to see if there's a difference between uh you know a, a control group and you know obviously an intervention group what we do know about hamstring injury is you know correlations if you like but what we don't know is what actually causes it we know when injuries you know like hamstring injury occur we know that happening say late swings a real common part of the say running cycle where hamstring injuries actually happen but we we cannot you know put all our money on the line and say you know this is what causes a hamstring injury you know i spent so much time uh during my master's i basically did a systematic review on injury prevention programs for the lower limb in male team sport athletes, and the evidence base is, you know, pretty pretty poor. The evidence that is there, if there is a small amount, we can sort of hold on to. Generally relates to sort of strength training, which brings me onto my my sort of second sort of point, and it's all about really about getting strong. So there is going to be a bit of a disclaimer to this, but if there is any evidence that injury prevention programs are actually beneficial and actually do work. The programs that include some degree of strength training uh, are the ones to go for. So in relation to hamstring injury prevention, those programs that include exercises like Nordics, uh, any sort of eccentric hamstring strength, RDLs, and those type of exercises tend to be much more beneficial than programs that don't include you know that type of that's type of training. You know, I'm not gonna go into any depth about the actual exercises like an RDL and Nordics. Nordics sometimes get a real bad name and you know for whatever reason, but the, the actual work the hamstring group has to do during the exercise, if done correctly, you know, it is is a it's a really good exercise. The problem is that more a lot of people, a lot of athletes, even high level athletes, really struggle to do something like a Nordic actually very well. And you know, for me you no, know, it's not something that I program with every athlete, even really high-level athletes and really very strong athletes, if you like, because they actually struggle to coordinate well to do the exercise. And that's, you know, an exercise we may work towards, but that might not be my go-to, you know, eccentric hamstring exercise. I may use something else like like an RDL, for example, to to be able to, to use and be able to Yes, to to work the hamstring if you like in a in a similar sort of way without the the compensations that they might have with something like a Nordic. But moving on, you know, strength training generally will help us sort of build capacity in a muscle group. So again, if we're linking this directly to the hamstring group. Doing those, you know, hamstring and, and sort of glute dominant exercises is going to help us build capacity in that sort of posterior chain. So when our athletes are going back, you know, onto the, the training field following an injury, or they're healthy and you know, and just part of their normal sort of training regime, we know they've got an increased capacity to be able to cope with the demands, and that and the demands are obviously going to be individual to that player, their position, and ultimately their sport but the big disclaimer i sort of want to mention about is there's there's almost a big misconception sometimes that it's just all about strength that we just get people stronger and they're going to be more resilient they're going to be you know less likely to get injured and that's clearly not the case hi andy here hope you are enjoying the podcast so far just want to make sure you haven't missed out on my new grad physio survival guide the New Graph Physio Survival Guide shows you specific skill sets you need to know to survive as a New Therapist working your role in the NHS, private practice, or even sport. It's my most downloaded resource, and you can get it completely free at www.newgirlphysio.com. So make sure you check it out. Now let's get back to the podcast. I work with a lot of you know, high-level uh Powerlifters and and strongmen. The the facility that I've got in the clinic is uh, adjacent to a sort of almost like a powerlifting and strongman gym. And some of those guys in there are strong. And I'm talking lifting two two fifty three three fifty four hundred kilos for some of the big compound lifts. You know the 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 squat and deadlift and you know breaking two hundred kilos bench pressing, which is absolutely phenomenal. So when I go and training there, I'm. Uh, look like a little uh, a little lad compared to, you know, some of the some of the weight they're sort of shifting around. But those guys still break down. And I appreciate they're pushing their their bodies to the limit with the sort of max lifting. But it might actually be Earlier on in their sort of training block, they're building up to a sort of a, a competition and they might actually be doing some high rep stuff and, in terms of you know, sets of five or six or whatever it may be. And, and sometimes they break down with you know, upper limb, low limb problems, whatever it may be. I've seen hamstring injuries you know, in this part population. Clearly, they are very strong. So sh- clearly, it's not just about strength. And for example, with one of these guys that I saw recently who had some problems in actually around his uh ductus, he had some groin pain. No, he he was, he was sort of squatting close to sort of 300 kilos. He's, he's obviously very strong. His adductors are obviously able to contribute towards that sort of squatting motion. But on a couple of the, the tests I actually had him doing on the bed with his lateral hip, I could literally break his lateral hip strength, if you like, with two fingers. So clearly he's, he's globally very strong. He, he's squatted 200-odd uh, kilos the, the day before. But he couldn't even hold his leg against two fingers of my resistance, you not know, pushing at probably 20%. So sometimes it's not all about strength. Sometimes it's about how muscles are coordinating. It's about how muscles are are working and co-contracting and everything else. So just putting strength on, on athletes, making them stronger and stronger and stronger, you know, it's probably going to help, you know, with the majority of, of athletes or patients you work with, but it's not the be all and end all. And, I, you know, looking back now in my early career, particularly as a new grad working in sport, you know, I probably made this error, you know, a few times as a few players I can think back to now where I went down the the sort of, that, that sort of strength avenue and just piled strength in gym, you know, and, and loaded them up and got really strong. Some of these guys were the strongest, you know, they were hitting PBs on, on some of their lower limb lifts, their, you know, deadlift, one RM and squat, back squat and front squat and everything else. Yeah. You know they they came back and still struggled with certain things, not necessarily sort of broke down, but they still had problems you know and This didn't always relate directly to their to their injury, their initial injury, but maybe it was something else so you know that's when I probably started to question whether it was all just about strength and and you know to this day now with the you know hundreds of athletes and you know patients that I've worked with you know sort of over the last sort of ten years. And I know that strength's a big part of what what we do as therapists and you know in a rehab setting and also in a you know healthy population in terms of you know athletes that I that I work with and consult with in sport but there's obviously a lot more that goes into to that package if we really want to try and you know make our athletes and patients as resilient as we can and the final part I related to specifically to to hamstring injuries is about actually getting them to do what they need to do. So if we use a football player or a rugby player as an example, these are both running-based sports and we there's a growing body of evidence, there's a pretty robust amount of evidence to show that the hamstrings work really, really hard when we run fast. You know, I'm probably not telling you anything new there and it's something you obviously know, but obviously as part of our you know end stage rehab, as part of our you know ongoing management of our players once they are back into into training. Players need to run quick, you know. I had an example with a player I worked with, this has gone back a few seasons now, but he actually was coming back from a hamstring injury and he rehabbed really well. So he had a pretty high grade hamstring injury, but we got him back up to, to full speed, like really, really quickly. He was back in training, back ready to go. He actually hit some um some PBs during his end stage rehab. So by PBs, I actually were talking about max speed and repeated sort of high high speed efforts. So we were able to uh, track what he was doing in rehab, and we were able to compare that to, you know, his outputs in in games over the last for him was four or five years. And he actually hit a, a max PB uh, multiple times actually during his sort of rehab. So we, you know, we use the data we'd collected in games to be able to say this is what we need to get this player back to and we use that to obviously plan and help some of our sort of end stage running. The problem he had is that he actually was fit, went back into training, and he was playing games. But then about um, six weeks or so later, he actually picked up another hamstring injury, this time actually on his opposite side. And when we actually looked at some of his training data and also his uh, match output data, he'd actually gone got nowhere near those speeds again, even in the games he was playing. So even though he was he was healthy he'd back, he'd played five or six games, he trained every session during that point, you know, he actually was almost deconditioned from what he'd got sort of got up to. So he got to a max speed, you know, in, in his high level sort of running rehab. And when he was back, you know, his handover sessions with the S C guys. But actually when he was back in the the normal training group, if you like, he was actually deconditioned because he'd naturally gone about 75, 80% you know, max. That was in you know a few times in in some of the games, you know, during that six-week period. So then when we questioned, you know, why he'd broken down, that was obviously a big, big, you know, big component, a big contributor to why he actually broke down because he'd not hit those top speeds, and he'd not hit the, those top speeds, with enough sort of frequency. So, you know, our sort of learning from that process is, you know, you know, we should probably monitored that better, and then we put some, you know, monitoring, monitoring in place for, you know, players like that coming back from injuries to make sure now then you know, after that point when we are returning players to to training and when they were back in in games, even if it is, you know, four, five, six weeks, if it's six months after, that they're still getting exposed to those high-speed zones, those high speeds, particularly with soft tissue injuries like hamstring. So just to sort of round up this, this sort of, you know, short and snappy sort of podcast, in relation to preventing hamstring injuries, you know, I certainly don't think that we, we can do that. We cannot specifically say that this exercise or this or this treatment modality or this intervention is going to stop players getting hamstring injuries. That's you know certainly the case, and the same would go for groin injuries, would go for you know calf tears, would go for hip flexor injuries or other soft tissue injuries like that. But what we do you know is if like, we if we uh, prepare our our know, athletes, our patients, in the best possible way. If we expose them to load, so whether that's in the gym through strength training, whether that's out on the field for a running-based athlete in terms of the, the top speeds they're running and the exposure to frequent you know, high-intensity efforts, then we're, we're going to be able to build resilience and we're going to be able to reduce the potential for injury so preventing injury is a is a strong word so and again we see there's jobs in sport everywhere with injury prevention specialists and you know for me you know it's just, it's just a fair fair big you know a big statement to make but you know I don't know if we can do that I know we can reduce incidents and I know it, and there's there's so many other factors that are going to come into this, which I'm not covering this podcast in relation to to previous injury, into you know, morphological uh, makeup of, of people's, you know, skeletal system uh, and whatever else, there's so many, so many factors that come into you know contribute towards an injury, you know, some risk factors that are changeable and some that are maybe not, like some of the genetics. Mm. However, you know, there's a lot we can do, and sometimes as as practitioners, particularly in sport, there's a bit of a cop out trying to blame, you know, blame other people. So in the, in the example I just sort of spoke about with the lad who was coming back from the hamstring injury, the easiest thing for me would be to blame SNC and coaching staff saying, you know, I've given you back fit. He's hit some PBs and he's running. You know, you've not, you know, managed him well since he got back. Which, you know, I'd probably have some justification to say that. But you know, once players are back in, you know, back in a healthy group, for example, in a team situation, you know, there's, there's still Um, still my player I'm still there say I was head physio there at the time they're still my players and you know that you know that you know re-injury if you like even though I was on the opposite side you know is you know falls on my shoulders as well it's not just you know someone else's and I think particularly in sport that there is sometimes a bit of a blame culture sometimes between specialities working in an area you know and I, I hold my hands up in with that example that you know we didn't as a as a team, as a group, as coaching staff, as medical staff, as SNC staff, sports science staff. You know, we had you know, enough staff there to be able to properly monitor that particular player coming back from injury, and all our players a bit better. Um, sometimes it takes you know things to go you know not as well as you want to, to learn from things, and as long as you learn from I guess from those mistakes, and you can you can you can sort of maybe react to that in a positive way and put things in place so that of happen in the future, which we were able to do. Um, I think it's a good thing, you know, and ultimately we don't want these things to happen in the first place. But again, that's that's one of the reasons that I like to give this sort of advice and help out to you guys so you can learn from the mistakes that I've made the mistakes that I see other therapists making how have made over the sort of last ten years that I had have had working in both private practice and sport. So you can try and avoid those same sort of pitfalls, those errors, and ultimately try and dodge those same mistakes that, like I say, that I've made and so many other therapists make. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, hamstring injuries and how you manage these injuries and what maybe you you try and do yourself in your own practice to try and reduce the burden of, of injuries like hamstring or or any other sort of overuse injuries. So please reach out to me wherever you've seen this, on social media or uh, send me an email. Andy at NeuroPhysio is the best probably email to get me on and I'll get back to you straight away. So just to finish up, Last week, the um, last week from when I'm recording this podcast, I was down at Therapy Expo in Birmingham. It was great to, to meet so many new grads that come into the stand or the new grads that came to some of my presentations, either in the lecture theatre or a couple of the sort of practical demonstrations that I did. It's been great. So I had some copies of the book. Uh, available when I was down at Therapy Expo, and it was great to, for, to see so many guys come down to down to the stand and take up the book. And it's already been great to hear some of those those therapists that have already started, you know, working their way through through my book about, you know, the the information they're sort of taking from it and how they're actually putting it into place, into practice, into their own practice to help them become, you know, more competent at what they're doing, more confident in what they're doing and ultimately more competitive as a new physio. So if you want to hear a bit more about my book and read about my story and how you can actually use the, you know, the mistakes I've made, like I talked about spoke by this sort of podcast and how I was actually able to sort of fast track my own career and how you can use you know the same sort of setup and, and steps that I made and steps that I took to do the same for your own career check it out on my website so if you go to com forward slash book there's a bit more information about the book a little short video you will know, detail a uh, bit more about the content and what's involved by all means check it out any questions please let me know But thanks for your time for listening, I really do appreciate it. Uh, I'll speak to you all very soon, enjoy the rest of your day, whatever you've got up to, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Newgrad Physio podcast. If you've enjoyed this content, you will love my website, newgradphysio.com, which is packed full of free content to help you, Newgrad Physio, Sports Therapist, or Sports Rehabilitator, overcome the specific challenges you face day to day in your clinical practice. Here you can view my blog, and you can also download my new Girl physio survival guide which shows you the specific skill sets you need to know to survive as a new Girl therapist working in your role in the nhs private practice or sport i'm really passionate about new god physio and trying to help as many new Girl therapists as i can so if you've enjoyed the podcast then please leave a review and even better tell somebody else about it enjoy the rest of your day whatever you're up to and here's to your own successful new Girl journey